Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dental Head Start podcast. My name is Erica Huynh and today we are joined by Dr. Cecilia So. Now Dr. Cecilia is a general dentist based in Sydney with a special interest in surgical dentistry and oral implants. She is also incredibly passionate about teaching and mentoring students and new grads as they embark on their journey in surgical dentistry. I think for many of us when we first graduate, perhaps the one procedure that can give us a lot of anxiety and the one thing we may often need a senior dentist to bail us out of is a tricky extraction. Now, I think for many of us throughout dental school, if we were mid-XL and snapped a root, then we were promptly ushered outside of the room as the DA swept in with a surgical garb and motor, and then the tutor would take over to raise a flap and section the tooth, all whilst we stood outside on tiptoe trying to look in. And so many of us graduate really lacking that experience of how to remove a tooth that's not already periodontally compromised in grade 3 mobile. And so in today's conversation, we tackle exactly that. How to pick your battles wisely, what cases to tackle, which ones to avoid, how to calibrate yourself and how to get started and really, you've just got to start. And if anything, that was probably my biggest takeaway from this pep talk with Dr. Cecilia because the very next day, I had an emergency patient walk in with a grossly curious 4A that needed to come out and so took my OPG, consulted a senior dentist, we came up with the surgical plan, spoke to the patient about it very pleased and proud to say that I successfully got the tooth out. Now granted I'm not telling anyone to be a cowboy and jump into things that they're not confident about but this is most certainly something that I've been wanting to do and get better at for the longest time and I've just always been scared to approach. So by all means brush up on your theory, attend courses, observe senior dentists, practice on models and familiarize yourself with the steps. But just like any procedure that you do for the first time the first one will always be daunting. But once you tackle it, it's a band-aid ripped off, a milestone moment and a huge relief. So for anyone in the same position, I hope this pep talk with Dr. Cecilia gives you the confidence to take that next step and choose your next battle. When I lecture to my students, I give them the one hour rule. It actually should be 45 minute rule and it actually should be a 30 minute rule. But I give them a little leeway at the beginning and I said the one hour rule. So what's the one hour rule? If you can't get a tooth out in an hour, it's too hard for you. Yeah. So then what happens is if you have someone next door, which is ideal, like uh, another dentist next door, a mentor next door, or you know who's around that day, then the best thing is to schedule your extraction when you have a plan B. you got someone down the corridor that can hop in and help you. Then I, what I say to the students is, you, you tell your nurse, right, we're starting surgery at 3 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, kick me. Because the reason is once you get into a surgery, you lose track of time, right? So I've had referrals where the dentist has, the patient told me the patient's been in the chair for like three or four hours. And on the OPG that sent me, the crown's been removed and the root hasn't. So they spent three or four hours just removing half of the tooth and the rest is still in there yeah so they've lost track of time they've kept trying and trying but like it's they've hit up against mental and physical barriers right so basically after about 45 minutes an hour it's fine don't feel defeated by your tooth it's okay just stop 
and then call someone for help or just suture up, give the patient antibiotics and painkillers and then refer. It's much better for the patient not to go through three or four hours of surgery, right, and then still have to go somewhere for help anyway. Uh, one hour is pretty much the, the yardstick, okay? And then what you can learn is you. I suggest to all my students have like a logbook so they keep notes of each patient and each case and what kind of impaction. So it's kind of like a a pilot has a logbook, then we as dentists should have a little logbook as well. So you can write like your patient, the name or something, or just initials or something. So you can kind of go back into your file and look at that OPG or that case in future and write yourself a little note, right? This case was really difficult because of the impaction, blah, 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 blah. Then you know that kind of case is too hard for you now. All right. It doesn't mean like next year you can't do that when you, you know, your skills are a little bit better. So you kind of know, right, that's way outside my boundary. Why? So take some time after the case to analyze it. Maybe it was too deep. Maybe the patient had, you know, really dense bone. Maybe the patient was like, um, you know, ethnic, so, or like African American or something. You thought the x ray was easy, but it wasn't because of other background. Maybe as a patient age. So basically you do like a debrief for yourself. Or if you want to have a mentor or, or um, someone in the practice that can help you out, you go through a debrief. Don't take like, don't leave it two weeks and then do the debrief. Do it there on the end of the day. So fresh in your mind, what do you think you could have improved? What were the difficulties you faced? And you drop that down like a journal. All right. When you come up, to another patient with another x-ray, you can pick up on those things because you've learned from the previous case. Oh, this one, this one looks bad. All right. Let's let's not do that one, right? And then you recalibrate the kind of cases you pick. So after some time, maybe about 10 cases, right? You'll be perfectly on the spot with which kind of cases you're comfortable with. Yeah. So maybe you're better at taking out lower sixes with sectional removal, and that takes you half an hour. That means it's time to stretch your boundaries a little bit, right? Let's try an upper six and section that and see how you go. Oh my God, that took like three hours. That's not good, right? So you stop at an hour, ask for help. Maybe it was a particularly difficult case, but it doesn't mean you should rule out all upper six for the rest of your life, you know? So it's a tiptoeing between too hard and too easy, too hard and too easy until you know where you are, right? And then you can you always you can improve, always you can get better because your skills will improve as you do more and more, right? So you have to balance between doing things that are too easy and not uh, stretching yourself and doing things that are way too hard that you're doing for like three, four hours, uh-uh, that's not good for the patient and not good for you. And also not good for your confidence because then you might pull back and go back to something really, really simple because you felt so defeated in that case, right? You want to be somewhere close to your threshold. You know, occasionally challenge yourself. Okay, yeah, that case took you one hour, 20 minutes, a bit of sweating. That's okay. You challenge yourself and you know, where your limits are, right? Not saying that you should do surgery as quick as possible. It's just a yardstick. So you can assess, it's like a self-assessment, right? So you can assess the patient type, assess the type of surgery where it's the impaction or maybe it's root canal treated or maybe it's an upper, maybe it's a lower, maybe it's the age of the patient, maybe it's 
the the extent of restoration on the tooth. You know, so many factors. You kind of pick the pattern, and then and then you'll be able to pick where you are and what you can do next. What's your next challenge? And the best thing if you have a mentor is find a case that you think might be too hard for you and ask a mentor, what do you think about this case? Do you think I can do this? I get lots of Facebook messages and emails. Do you think I can do this one? What do you reckon? And then sometimes we'll discuss like a treatment plan or you'll need to section that one. Oh, that that's that's maybe difficult because it's, you know, age, you know, 55-year-old male with an impacted wisdom tooth. I don't recommend you do that. So you have the discussion just a quick one with someone that has more experience than you and they can help you calibrate or oh, maybe you shouldn't try that one. Oh, that one should be okay. You know, something like that. And then you feel a little bit more confident that you're going into this case. Someone has suggested that it'll be all right. You might've got some tips too in that case discussion. Yeah. And so then when you're working away at your tooth, you're like, oh, remember uh, Dr. So said I should section that. It's going to the the mesial part of the crown is going to get stuck behind the seven root. So I remember to section, or maybe the tip was not enough buckle bone was removed on the mesial buckle section, which is usually the case. Or oh, I remember I have to raise a bigger flap for that case because I need the access near the mesial buckle area for better vision, better bone removal. So you remember these tips because you discussed that case, and that's how you kind of extend your boundary case by case, but definitely have a journal because it lets you remember that you've done. I really love the concept that you brought up about calibrating ourselves and having someone else come in and help us calibrate because I think that's actually perhaps for me right now, my biggest struggle is I don't know what kind of case I can take on and what, you know, and, and especially all of us, this early in our career or just clinicians in general, everyone has different capabilities. What one person may be able to do having worked for one month is different to another person, right? Depending on your experiences, your confidence, your skill set. Um, and so I remember when you were saying that just the other day, I had an OPG and I showed it to one of our senior clinicians. And I was, I said to her, we'd, I referred the patient off to a oral surgeon for some extractions because he'd requested it. He wanted to go under GA. But then I went to my senior clinician to discuss it. And what I thought perhaps would have been a relatively okay extraction, she pointed out, oh, if you have a look here, those roots are actually curved inwards, <laughs> like a love heart. And you would have had so much difficulty taking that out. And actually, if we go over the patient's history, previously, other dentists at our clinic have tried extracting a tooth for him and it came out in a million pieces. It took them several hours. So 100%, this patient would have been beyond your skill set, right? But as a new grad and just looking at it, I wasn't able to really calibrate that myself, you really do benefit from someone else taking a look at it and helping you pick out what's something that you can tackle and perhaps what's something we delay for an, another time after a few more <laughs> few more trials. At the beginning of the year, there's a it's it's called the Dunning Kruger effect. So the Dunning Kruger, right? So at the beginning you think you can do more than you can do. And then by the end of your career you can do more than you think you can do. <laughs> it's obvious. Yeah. So sometimes I have students that I've mentored for five, six, seven years, and they're like, oh, I don't know if I could do that case. And I'm like, come on, this is easy. Go for it. So they are more encouraged. 
commitment because they feel they can't do it, but actually their skill is way over that, right? But they just have, they're thinking too much and overthinking it, or they have lots of insecurity about it. But I'm looking at that case and I'm looking at my mentee and I'm like, how 100%? <laughs> And again, opposite, right? Sometimes you can do more than you think you can do, right? And then sometimes you don't do the things that someone else would see. And so you don't want to be kind of stuck in a scenario where, yeah, you, you got caught off guard. It's not, it's not pleasant for you or the patient. So, yeah. So the, the, like the mentor doesn't have to be like right in the room. We can always like text or message or call or email you know there's ways over the internet and things like that you can share cases you know I have a little study group Facebook group so people post up there so you know there's ways to discuss things. Speaking of difficult cases perhaps you can go through some red flags or situations where you know perhaps you see your mentees or new grads frequently get caught out in. Now, I know wisdom teeth are its own topic of its own, but with regards to other teeth, do you think there are any things, particular situations we should be looking out for? You mentioned before particular demographics or particular teeth or situations. What are your thoughts? We can include wisdom teeth in the discussion because they are essentially just teeth. Always the root canal treated teeth are always harder than you think. The very, very, you know, brittle, especially in older patients, they're actually very tricky. So an upper six, upper seven, lower six, lower, even a premolar sometimes, right? In an elderly or older patient, they're very difficult, very tricky. So my approach is basically sectional removal. So you have to be comfortable with using a surgical handpiece or at least minimum a reverse cutting high torque handpiece. So you can't use a dental handpiece for these things, right? Section the crown off, the root canal treated teeth, and then section the roots. So you have to be comfortable with sectioning basically. And then lots of using your periotome, lots of patients in terms of trying to get movement. But those teeth are often underestimated, very difficult. Compared to a 20-year-old with pericoronitis around a 4.8, it's fully erupted, right? And they've just been having pericoronitis. The roots are conical. They look like an ice cream cone, yeah? That's easy case. Just because it's labeled as a wisdom, right? That's often a case that actually you just luxate it and it will pop out, Right. Fully erupted, just tissue impaction. Maybe you have to open the flap a little bit to get the tissue out of the way. But like you can see the whole tooth is inside the mouth or at least um, super uh, you know, above the bony level of the jaw. And it just needs a little bit of luxation and it will pop out. So that's like less difficulty of surgery compared to a root canal treated, crowned tooth in a 65-year-old male that used to be a rugby player. Ah, yes, of course. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> As a new grad, I had to register with an indemnity insurer in order to practice, and having loads of options didn't make that any easier. When I came across Dental Protection Limited, they made it easy for me to sign up with them with their streamlined registration process and they also had heaps of added bonuses for signing up, like webinar events, workshops and various online learning. 
Dentistry is hard, and the stress of patient complaints can add to the everyday stress. Knowing I have DPL behind me every step of the way makes me feel confident stepping into work. If you want to feel like someone has your back going into work, you should give DPL a chance and discover what they can do for you. Impactions, of course, are difficult, so you have to look at how deep is the impaction, how much of the tooth is accessible, what's your pathway of removal, like how are you going to get the tooth out, how much pieces are you going to have to section it out to have like a path of exit for that tooth, yeah? But I find that age is a huge thing, you know, someone 20 is easier to remove teeth, doesn't matter what it is, compared to someone in their 50s or 60s. Okay, medical history is a big one, of course. You know, so many things like if they're warfarinized, if they've got NOAX, if they've got, you know, polio, if they've got diabetes, if, you know, all those things, right? All the medical history stuff. So, kind of the older patients actually, the teeth look easier, but they're harder to manage. And then, in terms of, like, say, another example are the kids that need orthodontic treatment. And then you're removing perfectly healthy, normal premolars. That's actually really difficult because you're managing a 16-year-old that never had teeth removed in their life, right? The tooth looks easy on the x-ray, but the management of the child, young person, the fact that the roots are really long sometimes and, and they like you're just scared of fracturing them. And then if you fracture them, then, oh, my God, you have to do a sectional, you know, surgical 16-year-old. So... I get a lot of those referrals and I'm grateful that the dentist has decided not to attempt it themselves because I actually give them either sedation or GA. They have a much better experience, even though it's just normal, fully erupted fives, right? But you don't want them to be traumatized before they even start their ortho. You know what I mean? I remember taking out a premolar for a 16-year-old once and how stressful that was because it's not budging, it's not budging, and then it just pops out. (laughs) Once you get the feel of it, then yes. But like sometimes they've got really fine roots. Sometimes, you know, you're you're scared of fracturing it and they've never had an extraction before. So you've got like a virgin patient in the sense that they're not experienced. Like anxieties to go with that. And you look at the x-ray, it's like, oh, it's a fully erupted premolar. (laughs) Yes. Speaking of curvatures and just premolars in general, I'll share a little story with you and our listeners of a premolar tooth that I had to take out the other day that proved a lot more difficult than I thought it was. But patient had come in, there was a big hole in his premolar. He said to me, no, I don't want to undergo root canal therapy. I'd just rather have the tooth taken out. He's had other teeth taken out before and he was happy to go ahead with that. And so I'd taken a... PA just to assess the situation, uh, but I missed the apex of the tooth. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, it's a premolar. It's, you know, fully erupted. It looks, you know, relatively straightforward. Um, but I said to the patient, look, I'd rather, you know, take another PA just to be sure, rule out that there's no in- infection at the bottom, but also just to see what the rest of the tooth is like and how long it is. Uh, I took another PA, but you no. Know, miss the apex again. And part of me is deliberating, do I take another one just to be certain? Do I leave it? Do I just go for it? But you know, I numbed the patient up and I said to him, yeah, I just want to be certain if it's okay with you, do you mind if I take it again? Just because I really want to see the bottom of this tooth. He was fine with it. He's like, go ahead, you know, do what you need to do. And I took my third pair, got the apex and it was straight, 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 straight. And then right at the very end, it hooked up. <laughs> And the bottom of the premolar was was 
looked. Yeah. And I was so glad that we discovered that and that I'd taken my PA just to be certain of it. But when I was removing the tooth in hindsight, and I, th- I think this is why you talked about having that logbook and that reflection, because definitely learned a lot from this case. I don't think I luxated enough with this tooth here. And so then when I had my forceps on and I started putting buckle pressure on it, it just snapped. Yeah, (laughs) right there. So it wasn't uh, perhaps like maybe two, three millimeters below the crestal bone, but yeah, still a good portion of that root was still there. Um, And so I had one of my senior clinicians come in, he had a look and he said, okay, we'll have to, you know, raise a flab, remove a bit of bone to try and take this out. But we couldn't get any mobility on it. He was there probably for another 45 minutes and just this premolar root was just stubborn and did not want to come out. And so we ended up just suturing it up, gave him some antibiotics, offered a specialist referral. But I guess having heard that situation, what are your thoughts? What are your advice or even like, what would you do next if you were in that situation? Was that a lower premolar case? Yes. How old was the, your patient? He was in his 60s. Yeah, see? Yeah. Classic. <laughs> also, the tooth was decayed, so it's probably had irreversible popitis. So it's necrotic and brittle. Yeah. So if I see that kind of case, I or I will have the PA, or actually I ask for the referring dentist for an OPG. I prefer OPG. I'd actually already consent the patient for surgical extraction and already consent them for possibility of root tip fracture, okay? So my approach would be usually to decoronate the tooth, right, so take the crown off, but then I can work on just the root of the tooth. So instead of what happened to you, which is that it fractured subcrestal two to three millimeters, which is like worst case scenario, very difficult, I would take the crown off either equicrestal or maybe one or two millimeters above the bone level. So I've controlled that. And then I can see the anatomy of the root because I've taken the crown off, right? And I can see the anatomy of the root. Sometimes it's got a bit of like a kidney bean shape or you can basically see clearly if it's round, kidney bean, one or two root nerves, canal, things like that. So then I'll section that root and then I'll control the sectioning. So usually mesial distal sectioning if it's in lower um, premolar and then I'll split that and then I'll take out one piece, example, the buckle or the mesial or whatever, and then the other piece. So I'll control that the the removal of the tooth by sectioning. And in that case, definitely using periotomes to help kind of loosen the tooth up, even though you're not going to get a lot of loosening. Two, using some like a straight burr to remove some interceptal bone. Now you have to look at your x-ray, which is why OPG is better in these circumstances. I actually want to see how much space do I have between that premolar and the six behind and that premolar and the four in front, because if it's really tight, then it's a really hard case. But if it's quite spaced out, you have enough room to drill distal of your five, mesial of your five, and if if we really have to, buckle of your five as well. So you've got room to wiggle. You've got remove, room to remove bone, right, down along the long axis of your root, 
And then that gives you space to put a one a two millimeter luxator, like a fine luxator, and then start to get that tooth moving. So pretty much if you can't get a tooth out, rule of thumb is section or removal of bone. I, I, you know, you try not to remove buckle bone, but you try to go for interceptal, like distal of the root, mesial of the root, maybe a little bit mesial buckle and a little bit distal buckle, right? But we as implant dentists try not to touch the buckle bone because it's so important. Yes, you might want a little bit of an envelope flap so you can eat better. But again, premolocyte, very tricky. You've got your mental nerve there. So you've got to be careful that you don't drop a mesial relieving incision right onto your mental foramen, right? So that premolar is not so innocent. It's actually more difficult than our 20-year-old with the ice cream-shaped lower wisdom tooth that will pop out with a luxator. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a really really good putting that into context and eh? not to underestimate a you know premolar that appears innocent. <laughs> you mentioned before sectioning it mesia distally. Would you do that even for a single rooted tooth? So for example, if I was removing an upper canine or a root canal tree upper central or lateral that has had like a post core crown, so it's very brittle, right? Then I would section the an upper central that's very brittle that has had a post core crown or vertical fracture or something i'd section it actually buccopalatally all right so by sectioning it buccopalatally and then getting luxators right down the middle of the tooth and splitting it you're splitting that tooth mesial section and distal section right then you're luxating mesial and distal and then you're removing part one and part two. So the pressures on the socket are mesial and distal. This is quite advanced technique, right? And the reason why we do that, we're trying to avoid putting pressure on the buccal bone. So if you're going to section mesial distally, which is fine, right? But then you put your luxator in the middle of those two pieces of tooth, right? and you, you pressure, 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 inevitably you're going to put buckle pressure on your buckle bone because you're wedging the tooth open, you know, one section buckle and one section palatal, and the palatal doesn't move that much, right? So basically you're pushing, 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 and you're splitting this tooth in half, and you're splitting it with buckle pressure, all right? So it's not great in the anterior region, Right, if you want to do implants, to be sectioning it mesodistally and wedging it and pushing it and doing all that pressure on the buckle, it's probably okay on a lower premolar. Like lower premolar, I would just go mesodistally. Right, even upper premolar, I would go mesodistally. But upper anterior, I I'm, I would. It, it takes a little bit extra work, but I'd actually section buccopalatally and split the tooth left and right. But you have to grab good tools. Like I've got a two millimeter luxator, then I've got a four millimeter luxator, then I've got a five millimeter luxator, all to take out this one central incisor tooth, you know? So you're going from narrow to medium to wide. It's 2022, a time where cloud-based software is enhancing every aspect of our lives. So why not leverage those same capabilities in something we use every day? Our dental practice management software. Imagine a platform rethought from the ground up, 
intuitive and intelligent using the possibility of today's technology for your patients and your business. A solution that optimizes our daily workflows, creating the edge that modern dentists need to stay competitive and connected. Principal practice management software is this solution. Efficient, intelligent, intuitive. Because it's 2022 and you expect better. Go to principal.dental to learn more. The way that it sounds as well when you do your extractions is that there's very much a like workflow or a flow chart with when one thing doesn't work, you move on to the next thing. You have to have in surgery a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D, right? If you walk into the room already with all these game plans, most likely you'll just need plan A, plan B, right? If you walk into the room with your 60-year-old man with the four, five, right, you thought it was easy, you thought it would pop out, you have no plan A, B, C, D, or E, guess what? You ended up with plan A, okay, fracture. Plan B, call your mentor. Plan C, stitch her up and send off a referral, right? It completely caught you off guard, right? So you didn't have any plan, so you ended up A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? So usually if you go in with the plan, you less you'll be you'll be less likely to have any problems because you've thought it through before you entered the room right for me because I've done it so much I think about it when I'm scrubbing up so I'm getting dressed it's almost like a ritual I'm cleaning my hands got my mask on I'm getting gowned up and that's when I'm thinking about my case right I've got it in my head right I'm gonna do a b c d e and if that doesn't work, F-G-H-I-J, whatever. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But the idea is that you already kind of got the game plan in your head. How are you going to approach this to? If this happens, what am I going to do? If that happens, what am I going to do? Then also your nurse can set up for it. So before I even scrub up, the nurse is already like, are you going to section? Do you want a surgical setup? What kind of bird do you want? What kind, Do you want scalpel? Do you want suture? Like we've already got the plan figured out already, okay? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to section this lower premolar in the 60-year-old. I'd like a peritome. I'd like scalpel blade so I can open a bit of a flap. I'd like a straight burr so I'm going to section. I don't need the round burr because I know I don't, I, I don't plan on removing buckle bone. I want to just section. So I've already got in my head what I want, right? Yeah. So you do have to, if you're beginning, sit down with a pen and pencil or paper, right? Draw a picture of the tooth. Draw a picture of the tooth behind and in front. As Analyze it. Like how much room do you have? Where is your elevation point? If I'm going to section, how am I going to section? Don't decide that when you're in the chair with like the patients in the chair. What flap am I gonna do? <laughs> oh, oh, should I do envelope? Should I do mesial incision? At that point, you've forgotten about the rule about not cutting a mesial relieving incision to avoid the mental foramen, right? You just it's too late. Yeah, <laughs> you're already panicking because you're on. You're on, you're on the unplanned D already, right? But if you thought about it before, picture all of that, you know, trace your OPG if you have to, whatever it is, 
you've got in your mind. When I, I digress, but when I learned implants, my I would go through cases with my mentor at his house sometimes. Like I'd take a whole bunch of x-rays and we'd just sit there doing game plans for all these implant cases. And then I would draw it out and then I'd write notes for each case. And they're like cheat notes. So that patient came up, I'd bring up my cheat notes and then I'd do the surgery based on the cheat notes. And then he could predict so many things that would happen that I didn't predict. So he'd be like, oh, this is going to happen. And guess what? It happened. And I'm like, oh, it happened. And then he's like, if this happens, you do this. Right? I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> this happened, so now I'm going to craft it. Okay. And so I had this game plan with things that I didn't even think about because someone helped me with my game plan, right? And then very rarely, but sometimes I would get into a scenario where it really didn't work out and I'd call him. I said, this is what happened. Now what? (laughs) And then he'd be like, oh, no, you have to, you know, you place the implant too deep. I could take an x-ray and show him. you got to back it out because otherwise it's going to be difficult to restore later on. You know, like that. Or oh, I sent the patient home already. What should I do? He's like, call them back. Do it now. It's better you do it now than later. So, like, I really didn't want to call the patient back in the chair, a bit like you really didn't want to take another PA. And the little voice in your head sometimes tells you to do it, but sometimes the little voice in your head says, nah, don't do it. Forget <laughs> about it. And bum. That's yeah. when you get in trouble, right? 100%. So my mentor said, call him back. And I'm like, it's 6 o'clock, call him back anyway. So that little, my little voice in the head was not good, right? And the mentor's phone call was, call him back, do it now. You'll save yourself a lot of grief later. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I called him back and I fixed what I had to do and it was perfect, right? So it's kind of really helpful to have someone that you can call upon even if they're not physically there and go through game plans with someone, you know, me, even if it's the day before, whatever, some grab someone, I'm going to do this case tomorrow. Yeah. And what do you think? What's the game plan? Can you see? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's amazing. If you have a game plan, every extraction is easy. It's like, Oh, I had ABCDEFG, but I only had to do ABC. I only had to raise a flap and remove the bone and get the periotome out and section the tooth, and it came out, you know? Yeah, so game plan. Logbook and game plan. Logbook and game plan. I've got one more question for this topic here, Cecilia. It's just what about the emergency patient that walks in with a toothache and they want that tooth taken out at that point, in, in that appointment? And you haven't got the luxury of sitting down with a mentor, coming up with your game plan, your plan A, B, C, D, you know, when the patient's not in the chair. So that is a tricky scenario because on the get-go, you might not be able to numb the patient, okay? So this is where informed consent is really important, right? I would actually like calm, usually distressed as well. So I'd calm the patient I'd say, look, you know, I'm here on my own today. I can do what I can for you, but just you're basically giving a disclaimer, okay? But just to let you know, I may or may not be able to numb the tooth because you have an infection and it's not easy to numb when it's infected. So plan B would be to give you antibiotics and painkillers and you come back next week and I will do it. 
but I know you want to try it now. So I, I hear you. So let's try. But I just want you to know that I might not be able to get it numb. And in that circumstance, it's okay. I'll send you home with strong painkillers and antibiotics and I'll see you next week, right? So, so then if it doesn't numb, you've already told them, right? So you're, you're a hero because you've already told them and you, you've, your game plan is you're going to give them antibiotics and painkillers, right? Right, so you've numbed them up. You've got good anesthesia, which is not easy. So you've done well. Pat on your back. Done well. Now you're going to approach the tooth and you start taking the tooth out, right? Do what you can, but think always systematically, right? So if you can't, if it's not budging, think about your options. Do I section the tooth? Do I use a periotome? Do I raise a flap so I can get more access? Do I remove buccal bone? So it's the same thing all the time. You either section the tooth, raise a flap, remove more bone, or or get help, or so so let's stitcher it up and do it another day. You know? So the game plan is the same, right? So you just do a quick game plan because you've got no <laughs> right. But you've already warned them that you're just gonna do your best right so sometimes you you can't finish it that's okay like you, you do what you can do so it's fine so it's kind of the same it's just a little bit more stressful for the patient so in that instance that informed consent is really important just informing them that hey you know I might not be able to numb it but it's okay I'll give you antibiotics and painkillers and see you again or hey I might not be able to take the whole tooth out but it's okay I'll I'll do what I can and then if I can't finish it, then I will suture it up and give you antibiotics and painkillers and get you back again. So either way, you, you're, you've, you're okay to go, give it a go. And the patient's not going to feel any stress that you can't finish, right? Because you want them. Because you want yeah. them in advance. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah. It's all about expectation. Mm-hmm. I tell all my patients, look, I might, I might fracture a root and leave it there. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get that hooked root out. And mm. then nine times out of the ten, I'll get the whole root out. I'm like, look at this. This is amazing. This <laughs> root. Oh my god. Yeah. And they're like, wow, you got it out. You know, because they expected me to not be able to get it. Yeah. So then mm. when I get it out, it's like, oh, you're amazing. You know. <laughs> so set their expectation, and you will always come out the champion. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.